Well, for years, Mary Gonzalez has included these words from the Gospel of John in the telling of the Nativity on Christmas Eve. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Every year on that holy night, Mary weeps as she speaks. And as I take in the power of those words, I move to tears every year as well. Darkness, darkness will never overcome the light, never. Nearly 150 years ago now, there was a preacher, an author named G. Campbell Morgan, and he wrote these words. There have been times in human history when it has seemed that the whole world has been given over to darkness. Many of us sitting here tonight may very well feel we live in such a time. I could name a whole list of things, war in Ukraine, conflict in Niger, Sudan, Central Africa, fires, floods, hurricanes, starvation, weather events that take the lives of people, but also then rob others of their way of making a living. Abuse, racism, the effects of social media, violence, mass shootings, addiction, mental illness, climate change. It is a dark time indeed. And in every successive decade since Morgan wrote, though God is acknowledged by true believers as creator and sustainer of all things, we can be tempted to be overwhelmed by the threat and the spread of darkness. But in reality, although it may not always be clearly visible, the light of Christ is still shining. The message puts it this way, the life light blazed out of the darkness and the darkness couldn't put it out. Alleluia. After World War II, Corrie ten Boom, who was a Christian Dutch woman who hid Jewish people so they wouldn't be captured and killed, she traveled to Africa to share the miracle of her story. And it was there in the African church that she learned and was encouraged to walk in the light. This was especially important to Corrie as she worked through forgiveness for what had been done to her and to those she loved in the concentration camps. The African Christians pointed her to 1 John 1, we all know it, where it says, if Jesus' followers walk in the light, as Jesus himself is in the light, then we can have fellowship with one another. And only then can the blood of Jesus cleanse us from sin and restore our relationships with other believers. We must walk in the light. Jesus, in Matthew 18, from our gospel tonight, though expressing it differently, advocates our consistently walking in the light by keeping things open between one another, confronting sin in one another's lives, confessing, not keeping secrets, not holding grudges, not stretching the truth, but letting it all 
come out into the light. St. Benedict, who was born in the late 5th century, wrote a rule for how his monks in his monasteries were to live based on this passage in Matthew. His rule included these words, monks are to make peace with an adversary before sundown. Pope Gregory the Great, reflecting on St. Benedict's life, wrote, in all cases, Benedict's response was the same. This is a quote. As Jesus teaches in Matthew, he would confront the offender with the details of his hidden or forgotten offense. Then the monk invariably would admit his guilt and repent of it at once. Benedict would forgive him and with a warning against future transgressions and provision for restitution, where this was indicated, he would restore the offender to the charity of their common life together. Benedict understood Jesus' teaching and knew that life in the monastery could only be peaceful if he and his monks followed Jesus' teaching to keep a clean slate, to walk in the light. This, of course, is no less true for us. William Willimon, a theologian and pastor, says that getting along with one another, settling our disputes in a Christ-like way, is the real business of the church. Then in Matthew 18, 18, Jesus included, after he gave this plan for how to walk in the light and how to get along with one person or the two that there there was an offense to or more. In Matthew 18, 18, Jesus included these puzzling words. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I believe in the context that that means that if we refuse to lovingly go to another, believing the lie that our sin or their sin is really not that bad, then we bind that other person and keep them from facing the sin in themselves and receiving God's forgiveness. Binding. On the other hand, If we walk full on into the light, speaking the truth in love to one who is bound by sin, we in prayer can loose them, set them free, allowing them to deepen their level of self-awareness, and then they are able to respond, repent, and be transformed. And we're all the better for it. The church is strengthened, Jesus is lifted up, the light shines. Jesus then concludes the Matthew passage with these very familiar words about Christian community. If two of you, you know it as well as I do, if two of you agree on anything you ask, remember it could be the healing of an offense that needs to be brought into the light. That could be what you ask. It will be done. For where two or three gather in my name, Jesus says, there am I with them. 
So here in Matthew, Jesus makes it clear that it's only by gathering in his name and experiencing his presence that we can hear his prompting to be open, to say the hard things, to speak the truth in love, to receive a rebuke from someone else for us, to repent, to forgive, to walk in the light. Now, as I meditated on these verses in Matthew, which were part of the lectionary reading, I was drawn to the passage we read tonight from Malachi 3. Though it gives a slightly different perspective on walking in the light with one another. In Malachi's day, fearful darkness had settled on Israel. People doubting the truth, disobeying, divorce, injustice, sorcery, adultery, greed, arrogance, in spite of the proliferation of all these sins among many of God's people, Yahweh had set apart a holy remnant, a few of his people who were still following after him, and through them the light still shined. This is where I'd like us to center our attention this evening. So hold the promise from Matthew 18 about Jesus being present when we gather in his name, where two or three are present, there am I. And then let's read some simple, but what I think are rather stunning truths from Malachi. Verse 3, excuse me, chapter 3, verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord talked to each other. Those who feared the Lord talked to each other. This so clearly reveals how God values our making the effort to form friendships with others who have a desire to follow him also. Remember, there was that faithful remnant, remnant who were attempting to follow God, whose hearts were turned toward God and who talked to one another. They were friends in the Lord. They walked in the light with each other. They confessed to one another and prayed for one another. They didn't hold anything back. It seems like these folks who feared the Lord and talked with each other openly, honestly, listening and responding about what was going on in their lives, did not have the kind of fear, because it says they feared the Lord, but it doesn't mean living from a cringing, cowering, unhealthy fear of God, but rather it describes people talking with one another as they held God in deep respect and as a result, placed themselves regularly in the company of others who also honored God, deep in their souls and with their lives. Morgan reminds us, there were men and women worshiping at the temple every day. But God particularly noticed those who feared the Lord, who valued him, who held him in honor. In the King James, Malachi 3.16 says that when these folks were together, they thought on his name. I love that. They thought on his name. They became still 
in his presence. They listened to one another. They praised God quietly, and I imagine sometimes rather enthusiastically. They regarded his name. They set a value upon it. They reminded one another as they were caught up into the wonder of who he is. They thought, this is the God who sees us, the one who heals us. He's the source of our peace and shalom, the one who is I am, the all-powerful one. They thought on his name. And as they thought about him, and then shared their insights, talking with one another, they were filled with God's light, and that light was spread to others among the remnant. They are called, invited by God himself. I'm going to read that again. They are called, invited by God himself, to talk with each other. This is a great picture of fellowship. Fellowship that um, has been defined as the koinonia. It's a Greek word meaning just connection in the Holy Spirit of gathering together in a community of hearts holding God as the most important relationship in their lives. And to these friends of the Lord and one another, the Lord did something interesting. He listened. He listened to their conversations as they were talking. And he heard them. And then he invites himself into the conversation. He listens. He really listens. Imagine a group of true believers who are walking together in the light and God leaning in to listen as they talk to one another about him. Isn't that beautiful? Can you imagine? Whenever we meet and talk with one another about God, he's so deeply interested, no matter the topic, that he joins in and really listens. This isn't a half-hearted listening. It's a careful, spiritual listening. He doesn't want to miss a word. It's like when Bill and I are with one of our granddaughters in the car and she wants to share something with us that has just happened in her life. I turn down the music, lean toward the back seat so I could hear more clearly because I have a genuine interest. I and we are thrilled to hear what she's sharing because we love her. Likewise, God is present and he is intently listening to us. If you've ever been in a group like this, and I pray you have, you may be kind of nodding. And in that nod, you are confirming the reality of experiencing God's presence in a group of people like the one that's described here in Matthew 3. There's an awareness, a touch point with God, a spirit-touching spirit experience that comes in no other way. God listens and hears. And then, imagine this, he records their conversation. I doubt it was digital. (laughs) But not only does this scripture underscore God's interest in his friends, but when he joins a group, he takes notes. 
Every word is written down. And then a scroll of remembrance is written in his presence concerning those who revere the Lord and honor his name. The scroll of remembrance is written in his presence concerning those who revere the Lord and honor his name. He remembers by drawing near to the Lord with friends who are followers of Jesus and opening our hearts and lives to one another, we give God a deep and broad space to work in our souls. He remembers our conversations, our prayers, our songs, the stillness, our alleluias, our pleas for mercy, our tears. He writes it all down and he remembers. These verses in Malachi have been so important to me because they remind me how much God cares about every group I have ever participated in, no matter who led it or what form it might have taken. I want to give just little snapshots of some of the groups I've been in where Jesus was powerfully present. And I think that probably your mind will be going back to groups that you've been a part of as well. To remember them. Places where you've enjoyed God's presence together with other brothers and sisters. For me, I was a part of a discipleship group. It was a one-year study on Foster's Celebration of Discipline. Nine people said yes. I kind of threw out a net out there to see how many would be interested on Saturday mornings at 6 a.m. They had five hours of homework to do each week, and they had to come consistently. Bill ended up calling it the God Squad. (laughs) Then there are the Ignatian exercises. You know about those, right? They would be the current kind of study group that required such commitment. Ten months, meeting weekly, soaked in scripture daily. I was a part of a covenant group. Six people met evenings once a month for, I think, 13 to 15 years. We ate together. We did group spiritual direction. We were all in full-time ministry or worked full-time, and only illness kept us from attending. There was another group of six pastors who gathered, male and female, from different churches once a month for many years. And we laughed and laughed, and we cried and cried. We were pastors, remember. And then there can be marriage or friendship groups. Bill and I consider our marriage a group because so much is accomplished by just the conversations that we have in the four walls in which we be, between the four walls in which we live. But that could happen with a friend or several friends, sharing, prayer, listening, And then I used to, as many of you know, volunteer at the jail, and I, it was such a blessing to go there. But you know, one of the really powerful parts of it was that it was a friend, volunteered with me for over 20 years, was driving back and forth in the car. We got to know each other, and we had insights about a whole variety of things. I had also the opportunity to tutor young people in a church on the west side, sort of a mission group, again with conversation. 
Savior has a women's group that's been meeting for maybe 15 years or more. Um, spiritual formation emphasis, and it's still going on at Deb's house, right? And it's open to anyone who'd like to come. So I want you to realize or remind you of the many ways that groups can be formed, formally or informally, structured or more casual. Whatever the group looks like, God is there. He's listening, and he's taking notes, and he's remembering. It just so happens that Savior is now offering several groups where you can meet God and others together and talk, where the Lord can hear and record. It hardly seems possible, but this is true. You've read it yourself tonight. It's just what he does. All, we're having an all-church retreat tomorrow. You can still sign up. There's a prayer group on Wednesday morning on Zoom, adult confirmation this fall, an outward journey group to meet with Sarah to discern of how to reach out, monthly praise and prayer. Details are in the order of service. I pray that the Lord will bring us creative and deepening thoughts about ways we can be together in the Lord's presence. Tonight, we have made the wonderful discovery that when we gather, God listens and even takes notes. And the next part of the passage in Matthew, or excuse me, in Malachi 3 reveals how God can use friendships formed in his name, sometimes with amazing outcomes. Malachi 3.17, on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, or on the day when everything is going to be made right. These God-fearers, that's you all, these God-fearers who talk to one another about the Lord will be my treasured possession. Wow. I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son or daughter who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. And that revelation comes from people who risk walking in the light with one another. And then in chapter 4, verse 2, God speaks again with a final promise. But for you who revere my name, that's you, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing light in his wings, and you will go free, leaping with joy like calves led out to pasture, filled with the joy and energy of the Lord. So, brothers and sisters, revere and fear the Lord. Meet together and talk about him. And he will come and listen intently. He will remember you and what's important to you. And he will write it all down. And you who revere his name will be treasured. He will come to you as the son of righteousness, as the healing light into your life, into your group, into Church of the Savior. And you'll be filled with joy. And that joy will spread to others. Thanks be to God. The life light blazed out of the darkness.
and the darkness absolutely could not put it out. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's be still.